Are you a burnt out overachiever buried in responsibilities? Do you miss laughing with your friends, just laughing from the gut? Do you feel like life's passing you by? If you've been wishing for some kind of shift, you're in the right place. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, the show where we take you off the hamster wheel by ditching your to-do list for the to-don't list. This is where you get to learn how to make that lonely ache vanish, learn self-compassion techniques, and to give yourself grace. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul so you can learn from my experience and the mentors and experts I meet along the way. And today you get to hear from four of my favorite past guests and snippets of their wisdom, lifting you up, giving you tools, and helping you with the overwhelm. First is meditation and yoga teacher turned Ashkodic Records healer, Ashley Beasley. You're in for such a treat hearing from her first, and these are just so good to help you not feel so stressed and overwhelmed and to help you with that shift. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. Enjoy. I love your meditations. So, Oh, beautiful. I've done, I've done meditation with you. Yeah. You know, meditation is really the first, I would say, uh, you know, other than just awareness, awareness of how you're feeling and what's going on with that. Meditation is the, is the next step to really being able to, you know, access your own Akashic records in a, in a clear way, because you, you can kind of filter out the noise. And I want to say like anytime that, that we are deeply listening to our intuition, that is us listening to and plugging into the field of the Akashic Record. You're very easy to listen to. And Thank you. Uh, so are you still teaching yoga? You know, I'm not at the moment. I've, no, I'm, I'm just doing coaching right now, actually. I'm doing coaching with the Akashic Records. Yes. So we're doing a, a, like a blend of we'll do an Akashic Record session and then we'll do a couple sessions of coaching to help implement and integrate this into that's the great. real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Because sometimes it can be very lofty and it can be very profound and there's all this stuff happening and information. So in the, in the sessions that I do with people, there's a, a lot of information coming through about, you know, where they are and where they want to go and their intentions and what they need help with. It's like a conversation that they're having with their higher self. And I'm just channeling that information through, but at the same time, there are parts of the sessions where we go into energy work, if that's needed or emotional healing, if that's needed as well, I'm just following the direction of, you know, their, their guides or their higher self and doing that. And then in subsequent sessions, we're actually talking in more of like a practical coaching manner, like a life coaching manner. And we're learning how to, you know, implement these things in their life and the real day to day. That's I, I love that. What's the hardest challenge that you've overcome? And how did you do it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hmm. I don't have to think about that. Like, it's like a it's like a timeline of things that happen and yeah, it takes time to get over that. I think one of the most, one of the biggest challenges of my life, and I'll talk about my dad actually has been with my, with my father and my relationship with, with my dad and the sort of journey of that over time that I think is actually still like still unfolding yeah, I'm not sure what, what you'd like me to say about that exactly, but maybe what do you feel to ask about that? Well, it's more how do you get through it, what your tools are, any message you want to give? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think with me and everybody's different with like the major challenges that they have in their life, right? I'm so blessed that I, you know, I haven't had a lot of death in my life. I haven't, you know, I've never even broken a bone, like body, body challenges and health challenges haven't been a part of my life, but emotional challenges have. And certainly my relationship with my father has been a real, a big one for me. I think over time, it's been kind of this cycle where I emotionally have been forgiving. It's not like I I hate you. I love you. It's not like in that sort of like teenager realm, but it's more in like this, this feeling of like non-acceptance or not being accepted or not being understood and wanting my father to father me in a certain way, but him not fathering me in that way. It's been kind of this back and forth over time of me feeling like we had a certain connection that in my mind and my heart, I accepted that was an acceptable relationship. But then at times when he would kind of go against that or not act the way that I wanted him to act, and and he is his own person, he's on his own path, I would feel betrayed by that deeply. So I think my process with that is realizing to realize that how he has been acting with me and behaving towards me as a father has actually been helping me. <laughs> yeah. And that is, has been so hard for me yeah, to realize. It gives us our tools. <laughs> but it's this other level of experience of understanding it and having that aha. And I'm not saying I have actually gotten there yet, but I'm getting there. I'm having, you know, different levels of love and compassion and seeing him as his God self, you know, instead of like this sort of character, this villainous character in my life or whatever it is, you know, who doesn't give you what you want. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah. And I think what, what it comes down to is finding deeper and deeper levels of love in your heart. Like how can we open up to love? How can we fully open up to love, give and receive love on like deeper and deeper levels? And that is, I think that is the crux of every relationship challenge that we have. Oh, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Do you have spiritual practices that you do on a daily basis? Oh gosh, I have, I actually have elaborate and (laughs) elaborate practices. And I find that I'm, I'm integrating more different and more, more and different tools into my daily practices as I, as I need it. The main thing for me is, is meditation for sure. I got to get my breath work and meditation in or my pranayama meditation for sure. And I have a certain period of time and a certain depth level that I try to reach every day. But if I have time, it's not always permittable, but I'm a body person. And in addition to the meditation, I really need a lot of movement in my daily practice. I think that's the same for a lot of empaths. A lot of people who are empathic, they just need to move their body and move that energy. They need to breathe. They need to sweat. They need to dance. So I I have to get that in. I have recently... I have recently started to do some very, very powerful affirmations, and I'm going to actually plug this for Paul Selig. I don't know if there's anybody out there who knows who Paul Selig is, but I, he's been around for a long time. He, he, his, main, his first book is called I Am the Word. Sorry, I Am Word, or I Am the Word. I can't remember. But Paul Selig is a 
channel. Uh, he's a very clear channel. Uh, when I say channel, he goes into a different conscious space. And it's not in like the normal, I'm doing my taxes mindset, but it's a totally different sort of meditative state. And he's able to connect with another state of consciousness where there's information flowing freely. And it's not coming from him thinking or efforting at all. It's just flowing. And the information that's coming is from a higher consciousness state. So it's, it's for everybody's benefit to know. And so he's a channeler and he's channeled like several books, one after the other. And the first one is called I Am the Word or I Am Word. And in this book, it took him about two weeks to channel this entire book completely. And it was channeled coming out of his mouth, meaning it was dictated out of his yes. mouth. And just uh, completely, that's how the book is. There was no editing needed. In fact, the guides or his guides said, don't edit this at all. Uh, we want you to say exactly what we're saying. And he spoke, the words that he spoke out of his mouth are exactly the words that are on the page. So it's a remarkable accomplishment to do that in two weeks and to not have it edited. But in this book, he has all of these affirmations that actually bring you into the energetic resonance very quickly of the I am, the I am. So I highly recommend it for all, uh, all of you out there. And then he, have su he has subsequent books after that. I'm also on, on, I'm on the next book after that as well. And I'm using some of these affirmations that I'm finding very, very powerful. So I would recommend that for people out there. I, I am word and like putting certain intentions out there and intending and knowing that you are the word that what you say does actually happen and that you are as powerful as anything outside of you. In fact, you are more powerful. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love affirmations. Yeah. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think that it's very, very important for us all to keep in mind that when we feel darkness out there in the world, or we feel it inside of us, that it's actually working for the light. This idea that this idea that there is a battle between darkness and light or that darkness is bad and that we're all going through this dark period and it's never going to change um, or that it's only going to get worse. I think that the best thing to just feel inside of your heart and know is that it's all about perspective. Even in our darkest hour, our darkest hours have, have always brought us to our brightest light in our lives. And I know everyone has experiences in their lives out there they can resonate with. So I want to say like any hardships or challenges that you're experiencing in your life or what you feel out there in the collective as well, what's going on in the world. I believe in my heart of hearts that this is all a gift for us. It's the gift of like, we're going through those hard knocks right now, but guess what? We're all going through it together. And that we can all like bond together in this and create real change. It's like that. It's like that idea of whatever is challenging outside or inside is a sign that's showing us where we want to be compared to where we are. From a lifetime prison sentence to speaking at Harvard, MIT, Oxford, hands down the most motivational speaker to date on here. Enjoy. Andre Norman. So when you started going to classes, did it have a domino effect where other people were like, I want to do this too? Or were they giving you a hard time? And they're like, what initially, did you do, Andre? <laughs> like, what's... Initially, everybody thought I went crazy. Mm -hmm. Because 
Andre's the guys on the yard pushing the weight. Andre's the guys always involved in stuff, negative. Andre's the guy at the center of everything that you can think of. So when I walked away from that, it was like, what is he doing? It's like when Michael Jordan said, I'm going to go play baseball. Yeah, right. They're like, what are you talking about? You can't play. You're the best basketball player in the world. You can't play baseball. And he went and he played baseball. I said, I don't want to do this game thing anymore. I'm going to go play baseball. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're the best at it. You can't walk away. But imagine if Michael Jordan had become an all-star baseball player. He'd have never come back. Yeah. So when I switched over, I got good at it. I got good at being good. And it was space to grow. And so I got on that track and I saw and I believed in what was going to come. And I could see the numbers. Like, he never hit the numbers. Had Michael Jordan been hitting that ball out of the park, he wouldn't have came back to basketball. Yeah. And had I tried this good route and had bad successes, I might not have stayed. I might have went back to criminality. I had great success and I could see it getting better. And I couldn't see to this point, but I could see it's getting better. It's getting better. And I stayed the course and it did. So did you have mentors or is there, are there actual teachers? Was it only books? Like, how did you do it? No books. Oh. Very few books. My first mentor was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. His name's Natan Schaefer. That's my guy. I met him by chance. There was a guy that was getting bullied that I stood up for. I didn't know he was Jewish, didn't know anything about the Jewish faith. And I ended up meeting him again in the program building. And he introduced me to Natan, who became my mentor. And then I did an old timer named, I'm saying, Gordon Haas, doing life. And he stepped in and started helping me. And then there's, there's a guy named MT. He stepped in and started helping me. And it's just like people were waiting for me to do good, to step up and speak to me. At the same token, there were people waiting for me to do bad, to get up and support that. You have supporters whichever road you go down. We go to the bar right now, me and you, we start slamming down Jack Daniels, somebody's going to cheer for us. And if we walk out of that bar and we walk into a rehab, somebody's going to cheer for us. Yeah. It just, what room do you want to walk in? Yeah. If somebody's yeah. going to cheer for you. Yeah, that's very true. So how'd you end up getting out? And that I must have been unbelievable. Eight years, 20 hours a day, teaching myself the law, teaching myself programs, teaching myself, just working. And I reduced my sentence. I won on appeal and I made parole. I went before a parole board and I convinced them that I was going to come home and do good things. I promised the chairman of the parole board I was going to come home and do good things. And I can tell you 22 years later, that lady still looks phenomenal for letting me out. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, no doubt. Matter of fact, I got to send her a thank you. I mean, she gave me a chance when she didn't have to. So when people get out of prison, I'm an attorney. I do discrimination law, not criminal. But I did do a little bit of criminal. It's so hard. There's nowhere to go. The recidivism is ridiculous. I know you've worked with some programs. What did you do when you came out? When I came home. Like to stay the course because it takes so much. And you'd been in for so much of your youth. The way I stayed the course is I spent the last eight years getting ready to be home. I didn't do the Department of Corrections and House of Corrections. They'll bring you to jail. Day one, they'll throw you in there and say, good luck. Best of luck to you. And you go to the jungle and you have to survive for 10 years. Oh, you got eight months left. And they'll come pull you out of the jungle and say, we're going to teach you how to follow a job resume because you're going home. You've been in the jungle fighting for your life for 10 years. A job resume is not going to help you. So... The last eight years of my sentence, I worked on bettering myself every single day. So when I walked out, I had an eight-year head start, not a three-month head start. And that was one of the biggest things that helped me stay afloat was the amount of time I had invested inside on staying outside. That's amazing. So what did you do? Did you get a job? Were you able to get a job right away? Did you go home? No, what did you, like, what'd you do? I could have went home to my family, but I had to say to myself, 
me plus my family for 18 years equaled Andre in prison. Oh, right. I'm not blaming them, but me plus them didn't work. Yes. So let's not do that again. So I wanted to be a gang outreach worker. So I went to a program that was designed to help gang, gang leaders. So I went straight to a program and I'm working. It was like a job slash community house that I lived in. Mm-hmm. And the f- focus of the house was to go help gang members. So I stayed there for like six months. Then I transitioned to another company. I got my own apartment. And, but first thing I did was volunteer at the juvenile centers. Second thing I did was volunteer at my mom's church. Third thing I did, went back and volunteered at my old high school. Then four months out, I have a letter from a state director of juvenile services. I have a letter from a pastor, a letter from a principal saying, Andre does phenomenal work. I took those three letters to another place who gave me a job. Then I just kept going. Oh, that is great. You That first apartment must have felt amazing. The first apartment didn't have run, hot water. It was just horrible. Oh. No, no. Oh, no. We actually, me and my buddy Will Dunn, we got the apartment and the apartment was so trash. We were happy to have that. I think we both stayed in total like three nights. Okay. <laughs> we got a hookup from somebody and one of his friend's moms hooked us up to the place. It was just not fit. It was a nice place, but the plumbing didn't work. And it was, but you know something? We were free. And I ended up going to stay at my uncle's couch and he went to go stay at his, um, his girl's house. But we had our apartment. We had keys. It wasn't really fit for living. It was cold in there. <laughs> we had keys. Yeah. And that's sometimes just having the keys matters. Yeah. That, it wasn't that's the Taj Mahal, but it was ours. Yeah. I had a place to go. So you're the ambassador of hope. How that's did you, yeah. So how did you end up going to college and so on? Where, how did that, when did that come about in this? This happened. It's called timing. I was supposed to get out of jail in April. The DOC refused to release me until November. And I thought they were being mean and I disagreed with them and I should have got out in April. But the fact that I got out in November was better for me. That last eight months I did not want to do. But if you let me out in April, I'd have been in the summer, all summer in the street. Then what's the likelihood of me going to school in September after running around the streets for three months? Not good. Since I got out in November, it's holiday season like it is now. And I went straight into college January. It was like a short window Holiday, holiday, college versus 90 days in the street during the summer, then thinking about going to college. So I got out in November. I went to a community college and I signed up and took classes there. Then they have a matriculation agreement with other colleges. So I was taking college classes on three different campuses just for the experience. And then I had a friend and mentor, Pat Dempsey, who introduced me to Boston College. And he got me a scholarship there. So I started going to BC and I just kept going. But 60 days out. I was in college. It says you want to surround yourself with people who are going in the direction you want to go in. Even if you don't understand, everybody in this school, in theory, is trying to be better. It's not like, hey, we're on the block and three people are talking about it. People show up to school with the intent of being better. And there was a large, I don't know about Russian people, there was like a large Russian community and they had come from someplace and they were like in Boston, going to the school. And the see, hate to use the word, people come from other countries. They understood the power of education and they were going to get it. They were there and they weren't playing. I'm saying old ladies, old guys, they came with that. We understood the power of education and what it's going to do for my life. And being around those people, I never really hung out with none, didn't talk to them, couldn't tell the name of any of them. But seeing their drive told me I was in the right place. Yeah, definitely. Now, how do you help people find like-minded individuals, find their tribe, find those people? There's so many. Not find the guy who said, hey, come with me. You don't need college. But find those like-minded. Even that guy, that mentor, as much as we don't talk now, 
from zero to year three, he was the best mentor ever. I'm, I'm going to say it. No. From zero to year I three, it. I got it. He was phenomenal. I learned so much information and insights from that man that I would not be here without him. But from year three to year four, we went off the rails. <laughs> so he served his purpose for a little bit of time. Learning to let go and move on is a problem with me because I get attached and I stay too long. I can't tell you how many people I do counseling for couples, individuals, how many couples that I've sat in front of and I ask them, when did you realize this relationship was over? Two years ago, four years ago, six years ago. Why are you still here? They're like, I don't know. Literally. Ask, that's the first question. How long have you realized that you don't love this person anymore? And it's never two weeks. Yeah, no. It's always two yeah. years or better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized about three years ago that I was done with this. And you're still sitting here functioning as if this is a marriage or a relationship. When did you realize you hated this job and it was killing you? Oh, about five years ago. Why are you not looking for something else? I don't know. I'm used to it. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And so when I get with people, it's, are you happy? Not does it pay you. Not does it give you fame. Are you asking for happy in my job? Ecstatic. Don't want to trade my job with anybody. Hey, you want? No, I love my job because it fits me. Ask that to somebody else. Do you love what you do? And are you happy doing it? You're not going to get two yeses in most cases. Next question is, why are you still doing it? Because I don't know how to get into another lane or to exercise my inner gifts. And that's where people like yourself can come in and help them process. Are you happy? And are you in love with what you're doing? And <laughs> do you want to actually go live your gift? Yeah, now that's sad. If you're not doing what lights you up. i tell you what. It wouldn't work because the world will shut down. For motivation, I'll see somebody go to job. I'll go to the airport. And I'll see the guy moving boxes. i go to the airport. i see the guy, lady who's going to check me at the counter. I go through some, I see the Uber driver. I go down, I see the police officer. I go down, I see the librarian. I go down, I see the guy who's driving the bus. There's different jobs. And I'll say, I never want that job. And that's motivation for me to go do what I love to do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. There's some tech people. There's movie producers. I mean, there's singers. I don't want to be a singer. I don't want to be entertained. I do not want to be on stage singing and dancing. I'm okay. I won't mind being a baseball player. But the baseline is, I look at what I used to have a job that I hated. Then called being a gang member. I hated that job, but I did it well. I was really good at it. You were number three. And I had to let it go. So, okay, I'm great at this, but it's killing me. So just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's good for you. Yeah. Do you have a message of hope that you want to give? The message of hope is if you can hear this, you have a chance. I live across the street from a graveyard. They don't have a chance anymore. They're done. Go by a graveyard. They're done. They are 100% over. And bless them all, but they've passed on. If you're still here, and you're in this conversation, that means you're in a space that you can impact the world. I was going to say, why not change the world? Every person you can think of, from JFK to MLK to Magan to Nelson, you go down Deepak Cho, everybody who's impacted the world is always one person. Mother Teresa, one person. <laughs> this person, one person. The Pope, one person. I mean, everybody's one person. Genghis Khan, one person. I've yet to meet somebody who's multiple people. It's always one person. It's always... Why can't you be that one person? It's the whole, why not you? I had a thing in my car that said, God never gave us a dream without giving us the strength to carry it out. Everybody has a vision. And Angela Manuel Davis, who I'm just such a groupie for, she's so uplifting and she's amazing. And she says, God put that dream in your head for a reason. So if you can see it, you can be it. And I love how you said, yeah, we're not in that graveyard yet. So <laughs> to do it. I see my trumpet. When I was in the ninth grade, my friends convinced me that playing the trumpet was stupid. And I got rid of it. Oh. 
Aww. When I got rid of it, I got rid of my purpose. What made me happy? What gave me passion? That gave me goosebumps. My, my whole life went off a cliff. So when I got back on my feet, I keep it there as a reminder, nobody's going to steal my dreams ever again. Yeah. Never again will you tell me what I can't do because you don't agree with it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, to thine own self be true. Yeah. All day. Yay. Oh, I love that. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Well, for the people who are home and think that this is a great podcast, we're glad you tuned in, and this is a great interview. The interview was actually happening so we can get to this point to say that we know you're there. We can see you. <laughs> we're actually looking at you, and we believe it's a phenomenal in the next 52 weeks, you're going to find your reason to be hopeful and that you matter. We're not doing this because we just want to be on the phone talking to each other. We're doing this because we want you to know that you matter, we care, and that your dreams can actually come true. If I can go from the basement of a prison to the White House, there's nothing that you can't do. And there's nothing that we won't help you do. So whatever you're going through, it's going to make you stronger. And whatever you've been through has already made you stronger. So we're with you. We love you. And we're doing this for you one-on-one, straight across the table. We want to see you rise up and be that person. Whatever greatness is for you, my uncle was a bus driver and he loved it. He bowled and he loved going bowling. Those are two things. He loved driving his bus and he loved bowling. Two things I don't subscribe to, but he loved it. And he spent his whole life bowling. Every two days a week, he's at the bowling alley. He's in every league known to man. He loved it. Doesn't have to be race car driver. Do what you love and you will have a fulfilled life. And your family will remember you as having a fulfilled life. So don't compare your dreams to anybody else. Compare them to what you love. And know that we're here to say, keep going. Why not you? And let's get it done. Maya McGinnis is my example of the grass is always greener. I just love her story. And she just has the biggest heart and also surrounds herself with a pink light to protect herself as a boundary. Her story is from Wall Street business guru to yogi extraordinaire. Enjoy, Maya. My understanding is from people I've spoken to, you kind of saved yoga works. Yeah. You know, I mean, so congratulations on that. Uh, you Thanks. know, like, during COVID <laughs> and everything, when everything went down, I mean, you're the one that put that, kept it yeah. digital and makes yoga available online for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, yoga impacted me. It's been such a big part of kind of, I think what I'm here to do is really in sharing the practice and not so much the physical practice because yoga is so much bigger than that. It's really just like getting people to be more present and to understand that like in existing in the present, we're so much less likely to get caught up in things that we can't control. So it's like such an important thing for me to spread that. And I started working at YogaWorks right out of my investment banking job. Actually, I got a job there thinking that it was going to be my sabbatical from real life. I'm going to take this fun job. Yeah. Yeah, While you find yourself, (laughs) that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I have some time. I'm going to do this for a year or so. I was applying to grad school at the time. And then I never went to grad school. You know, I stayed at YogaWorks and moved up the ladder and ultimately moved out to Los Angeles with them. But I actually was teaching at that time. I started teaching. I never thought I wanted to be a teacher. Again, that's like, some of the like the mom hangover that I had, which was, you know, I don't want to do what my mom did, but I loved teaching and I felt so fulfilled. And it was really one of the only times that I had in my day where I could completely just drop into the present and not be so caught up in the email, the Blackberry, you know, all those things that were constantly like a barrage of stimulation coming from the outside. So teaching for me became like my happy place. 
And so I started teaching a lot more, even as I was working on the corporate side at YogaWorks. And ultimately, teaching really felt like my calling, especially as I started training other teachers and became a trainer for YogaWorks. And I did that for a couple of years. And it was really, you know, I've been with YogaWorks for almost 11 years now, but in a lot of different capacities. So when I was teaching for them, the pandemic hit us. And that was a big shift, I think, for yoga teachers across the board, because, you know, it went from being this very in-person thing and people running around from studio to studio, teaching classes, teaching private clients, and all of that basically ceased to exist like in a couple of days. And so it was wild to just see the change in the industry, but I was fortunate enough to be connected to YogaWorks and connected to the executive team there that as they knew, okay, this is going to last a little bit longer than the initial three weeks that, you know, LA County (laughs) predicted it would last for. They brought me back on board on the corporate side because we knew that we had to make a change. We knew that we were going to have to pivot to be a more digital product so that we could, you know, save the company and keep teachers working and keep students practicing, which is ultimately my mission anyway. So it was definitely not easy. I think we're still kind of riding the waves of all of that right now. But to me, it's a story of hope because I, you know, YogaWorks has been around for so long. My teacher, Mati Azarati, was actually the founder of YogaWorks and she's no longer with us. But I know her mission was always to get more people practicing yoga because she believed if more people practice, the world would be a better place. And I've taken that on like, you know, full on. (laughs) So that's why I'm here. Do you have spiritual practices that you do on a daily basis? I do. Yeah. So, and for me, a lot of it is rooted in my meditation practice, which has really been a constant for me. And a lot of that is just learning how to turn my attention inside and connect with myself. And I really believe that we're all connected in a much greater way. And, you know, whether you want to call that the universe or God or spirit or whatever it is, I think we all have our own terms. It's recognizing that like underneath all the wavering and I'll say it, the suffering, because we as humans suffer, there is like a real connection and the universe really conspires for us. And I think that's really easy to forget because things can feel hard in the moment. But I think more often than not, when I look back in hindsight, I'm really grateful for the way things turned out, even though it was really difficult in the moment. Yeah. The best lessons are always for me have always come from my most difficult times Yep. That's where my growth always is, but yeah. it sucks going through it. <laughs> well, and I mean. that's to me, that's like the beauty of the meditation practice. It's like this little like insular world where you start to realize like, wow, today I'm really stuck on this one thought pattern or this one story that I've made up in my mind. And it just keeps on coming back and back and back and back. My meditation teacher calls it the top 10 tunes of the mind. Do you, you think Tara Brock? Who is it? Jack Kornfield. So Jack and Tara do a lot of work together. Yeah, yeah. 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 (laughs) So, you know, it it really is, you know, coming back and being able to identify without, it's almost like diffusing the charge. It's kind of like, wow, like that's a story, but it's just a story. You know, we're really good at making up stories. We're all much more creative than we give ourselves credit for. But how do you unwind that? Like underneath all of that movement, anticipatory energy, and, you know, sometimes the fear there really is like a stillness and an inner peace that we can tap into even when things are hard. Yeah, definitely. How do you help people tap into their intuition? So I think it really starts with the body. It's a practice. And that is one where, you know, you start to experience the sensations of your body. 
And our intuition speaks to us in a very physical way. I think most people can identify that when they're having like a certain intuition about something, they feel it in their guts or feel it in their throat or feel it in their heart. And we've been taught to ignore those things and to let the mind kind of step in and reason our way into certain things. But the body knows. And so the more that you can tap into what your body is feeling, you know, it's difficult because I think sometimes you may say, especially like in the context of a professional environment, like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And the follow-up question is, well, why not? And you're like, well, because I feel it in my gut. Like, that's not like a generally acceptable (laughs) response. I trust my gut. It is. And it's like, you know, your gut speaks to your brain, which then speaks back to your gut. We've seen in research, there's a bi-directional highway there. So it's really interesting that you experience things in your body. And sometimes you may not even know why you're feeling that way. It may seem beyond reason, but it ultimately is guiding you in a certain direction. And I think so much of me, especially over the past couple of years, has been really learning to trust that. And part of that is learning how to get still so that you can actually check in and make sure that what you're experiencing is an actual sensation or is actually indicating something versus just taking in a lot of the energy around you, which we're all dealing with a lot of that all day, every day, but getting still and being willing to sit in kind of in between zone. Gosh, that's hard. You know, I call it sitting in the doorway. It's like, you got to be willing to sit in the doorway before you decide to go in or to leave. So it's being willing to sit in that place of in between. And there's a lot of magic there. Oh, definitely. But I was taught when in doubt, do nothing. Yeah. I love that when you said the bi-directional highway, I never heard that before. Oh my gosh, I had such a good question that came from that. I can't believe I just lost it. While I'm thinking of it, do you have a message of hope that you want to give? Yeah, I think my main message of hope is, you know, you're on the right path and nothing ever shows up that isn't meant for you. And be willing to be patient, right? To sit in that underlying knowing that, everything that is meant for you will find its way to you. And I think it's so important to remember that and to live that way because it helps you to, you know, step out of fear and to step into a space that feels more open and full of possibility. I love that. Okay. Well, I didn't remember what it was. So clearly we weren't supposed to talk about it. (laughs) Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you that you wish I had? No, I really think the only other thing that I would say is, you know, with all of these tools that we've been given, whether it's, you know, a movement practice or meditation or nutrition or all these things that I think are being thrown in our face on a regular basis, like you have to do all these wellness practices. It's like, it's only going to work for you if it's something that you want to do. So it's starting small. It's being willing to take a couple minutes out of your day, maybe in the beginning and just noticing how certain things resonate with you, how they make you feel. Because it's not that you have to eat perfectly and move a certain amount every day and meditate for an hour. And like, it's just not realistic in our human existence. And we put too much pressure on ourselves anyway. But these practices are for you. So, you know, make it work for you. And then you'll be more likely to adopt it into your regular life. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. It has to resonate. And definitely, yeah, don't start in an hour, three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. Just do an energy clearing. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Oh, I'm so glad. Perfect. (laughs) How do you keep somebody else's bad energy off? I know Mm. the white light. Do you just create a bubble around you? What do you do? Because So I like to use rose gold armor. (laughs) Okay, go ahead and explain that. So this is actually a technique that was given to me by a medium several years ago. And I loved it just because I'm a girly girl. I admit it. I love pink, rose gold, jewelry, all those things. Love it. So for me, it was really about, she said, you know, you put on your armor every day and the armor isn't meant to make you inaccessible or like not a person. It's just meant to create a little bit of a barrier so that you don't have to take on the things that aren't yours. So, you know, she invited me to pick a color and a material that felt like highlighted me and like my inner me the best. Uh So I chose rose gold. And so I put on my rose gold armor and I'm really introverted. So like, especially when I go into big social situations, like pre pandemic, this has been great for me during this time, but (laughs) you know, I always put on my armor and I remember, you know, you don't have to take on what everybody is giving to you on a regular basis. And that can be really hard, especially when it's reactive or it feels like there are strong emotions Mm -hmm. associated with it, but it's not yours. Like you carry enough stuff every day anyway. You don't need to carry that too. Yeah. I have a friend that's going to love that. She's been taking on somebody else that's been coming at her so strong. It's not yours. It's hers. I promise. So she'll love that. I love the white light, the white light and the bubble, the protection of that, just kind of that bubble. Because everybody has a message to give. And yeah, so I love hearing what other people do. I've never heard yours. Like pick the color. I love that. Pick the color. I mean, I know people that use roses, like, you know, surround yourself with roses, pick a color, pick a scent, like whatever it is that lets you like really sit, like reside within yourself and just say, Hey, I'm not going to take this on today. And now listen to confidence coach and therapist, Anna Marcolin. She speaks frankly as she helps you be your authentic self. Here's my buddy, Anna. I know that you work with people to get to trust their intuition. You're very big on that. And which is why I say, I definitely like have this connection with you beyond football. I know you didn't hear like the lead into this podcast. I'm like, we get, it's two girls talking football, but don't worry. We don't talk football on the podcast. (laughs) I don't want to turn anyone away from listening. But how do you get people to tap into their intuition? I know I do. And one of the things I was going to ask you before was some people can't find a therapist or can't necessarily get to one or in between their therapy sessions. I know journaling helps me a lot to tap into my heart center and things like that. How do you get people to trust their intuition? Journaling is a very big medium that I utilize as well. And I recommend that, well, those who are interested in writing, I recommend they all do it. I do have a certain subset of clients who say, oh, I don't want to journal. I'm not going (laughs) to. And I realistically, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to journal. I'm just telling you that. And I always appreciate that honesty. Yeah, right. So, you know, much of the work that I do in therapy and even a little bit in coaching is to listen to that sixth sense. So they're more of the verbal processing people. So we do that. That's the work that I do with them in the session is to tap into listening to their gut. So it really, to me, so much of intuition is in the gut and it's a sixth sense. What does your gut tell you? And so it's in the verbal conversation, the processing that and where it is in their body. For most of us, it is in the gut, but it can be in other places for certain people to listen to what your body is telling you about what is going on around you. So, you know, for some people, they'll do breath work. 
it is a case by case basis. I have, you know, I, not everybody wants to do breath work. Not everybody wants to meditate. Not everybody wants to journal. So if you're a journaler, I think it's a wonderful way to come up with, to see what's in that unconscious and that subconscious, because it's unbelievable to me what will come out when you put pen to paper. And it's not typing in your laptop, at least not for me. It's not even typing in your phone. It's pen to paper. Sometimes it's free association. And sometimes it's just what is coming up for me? What is this that I'm feeling? What is this that's happening right now? And there's your intuition talking to you. That it's got to be pen to paper and because that's directly to your heart. It's tied into yes. your heart when you're doing it that way that you can't type it. It just doesn't, it's not the same. You know, and I think that we all have intuition, right? And some pay much more attention to it than others. And my work with clients is getting many of them to start to listen to it, that it's there and really kind of some education around what is intuition and where is it inside of you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it think like? And I'll take them through that piece, which is kind of like intuition 101. And then they go, oh, that's what that is. Yes. That voice that told you don't go out to the parking lot. It's dark and your car's far away. And something's like, don't go right now. Don't go right now. And you're looking around, you're hesitating. That's your intuition telling you danger, danger. Don't go out there. So, you know, when we work through it, what they know to do is I'm listening to it. I'm not going out there. I got to get a security officer, the mall security guy to walk me to my car. You know, I had a client tell this to me many years ago and she paid attention to it. This is before I was working with her and she already was pretty tapped into intuition, but she had this fear come up in her. Don't go out there. She had the security guy walk with her to her car. And lo and behold, there was a van right next to her car with no windows, like the scary, like it was like yeah, a white yeah, van. Yeah. So there you go. And she's like, I don't know. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was, you know, who knows? But there could have been someone in there waiting to kidnap me, take me, or it could have been just nobody, no, you nothing. But there was a man in the seat and, you know, so that's intuition. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's learning to pay attention to what it is. So the ways to learn are, like we said, journaling. And I think oftentimes it's a verbal conversational process of what is it for you? Because it's different for everybody, how we feel it. Oh, definitely. I'm a big believer in meditation. Mm. That's me. And it took me years to do it. I used to have my kids meditate when they were little, but then they reached an age where, yeah, no, <laughs> who wasn't it's, happening. No, it took me Well, I mean, I think so many of us, especially in, you know, these first world countries, because I think of ADD or ADHD. And I think, you know, so many of us are hyper and I don't even think you have to have a diagnosis anymore. So many of us just like we talked about, you talked about everybody just bypassing was it the violin in the Metro in DC. So we all have these monkey minds. We all have these minds. We're all swinging from the branches, swinging from the ropes, going from like tree to tree to tree because we're so crazy busy. Is that attention deficit? Maybe it is. Then I think most Americans have it, you know? Yeah. And I also think women, we follow each other though. Guys are like, you're ADD. I'm like, but my girlfriend's following me. <laughs> just yes, fine. We exactly. go from topic to topic. Everyone's like, but girls follow each other just fine. Top Absolutely, top. we do. And it was so funny because last night I was at a friend's for dinner and it was my husband and her husband and a couple of the women that I know. And we were talking about this and the husband's like, can you guys just like, what are you talking about? He was like, what are you like? You're, what are we talking about? You're talking about this. Now you're talking about that. And the women, my friends and I were like, what's wrong with you? Like we're following along, right? We're, he interrupted our nice flow of conversation, yeah. which to him was all over the place. But I was like right there with it. And I actually was like, stop interrupting our conversation. Like we're in it right now. And it's a really good conversation. <laughs> we were, we were talking about shoes. We were talking about all our aches and pains. 
We were talking about food. We were talking about the band we want to go see next week. We're talking about all, and everyone's like all over the place. And we're all like, "Uh uh-huh, it's true. Well, there's science behind that women can multitask. Our brains are wired evolutionarily. We can multitask. Men cannot multitask or single-mindedly focus. And the newer science of what I've read has said, actually, nobody can really multitask very well. Everybody, male, female, should be single-mindedly focused. I agree. I see that. And I do think women can do it better. I think it does come from, you know, millions of years of being here and we do it better. It's not great to do, but we do do it. So I'm going to take this back to what you started with. So do you recommend time blocking when you, okay. So should we time block in 15 minute segments and are we more productive that way? Just say, okay, so for this, I'm going to meditate at this time and then I'm going to work at this time and then I'm going to take a break at this time. And should it be in 15 or 30 minute or what do you recommend? So when you're doing your audit, I do want, and it's a three day audit. It is a lot of work. So I want you to look at your day in 15 to 30 minute increments. Once you go through your audit and you see how you're spending your time, then what I have my clients do is time block. So the morning, let's look at your morning. Let's say you wake up at six, let's do six to 8 a.m. Sometimes for some people, that's too much. So we'll do six to seven, we'll do one hour. So you wake up, what are you gonna do from six to seven? I'm gonna make my bed, I'm gonna go to pee, go to the bathroom, make my bed, brush my teeth, meditate, go downstairs, make my coffee. So that maybe that's like, you know, 30 minutes. And then maybe I'm going to get my workout clothes on and I'm going to start my workout. So now maybe you're going from 6.30 to 7.30 and you're doing an hour workout. And it doesn't have to be crazy rigid, but I want people writing down in the beginning exactly what it is they're doing in their calendar. And it's really important that you do it because many of us, when we have a calendar or a planner or a piece of paper, you know, we keep it with us. We are creatures of habit. We will stick to it. And then maybe let's say it's like, or it's like 7.30 in the shower. And it's like, you know, you're going to take a shower and you're going to get ready for work. You're showering. And what else are you going to do? It's also habit stacking. So if you want to listen to a podcast, maybe that's like when you listen to your morning news while you're blow drying your hair and you're getting your makeup on, your clothes on, and then you're turning the podcast off and you're thinking about what you need to take with you for work for the day, or maybe you're making a lunch. So you can stack your habits together. And I even get as granular with some people about when you wake up in the morning and you're washing your face, that's when you're going to like put on your serums and your sunscreen. I mean, I get really granular with certain people because we need to talk about it to get it in the forefront of their mind. And then once we've talked about it, I have them write it down after like a month, they don't need to write it down. They just, they're just doing it. You don't need to look at their list of what they wrote down. It's that important to get these habits stacked together and then put them into time blocks. It really does work in the beginning for some clients. It's like, oh, it's the last thing I want to do. Like, yes, but why are we resistant to it? Like we hate that our lives feel chaotic and crazy and overwhelmed, but we're resistant to the change. So there you go. Change the behavior, drag the feelings. You've got to change that behavior, take action in your life. And what's going to happen is a month from now, you're going to be like, wow, I have like what we call white space. It's like, I've got white space every day from like two to four. I never had that. But why is that? Well, because I got a lot of stuff done in the morning and actually two to four, I'm like, I'm doing nothing. I'm taking a nap and I'm actually looking at recipes of things I want to, you know, yummy meals I want to make this Saturday you know, and I never had time to do that before. Why is that? Because we were scattered and all over the place. So, and I have people put in time for social media, putting in time for TikTok and Instagram, because you need to have that time where you just could be like, 
I don't want to think and I just want to laugh and I just want to like look at people's pictures, put that in. So that it is so important. And I don't think people have realized the connection to mental health, you know, and I'm not talking about mental health. I'm talking about mood disorders or anxiety disorders, somebody who meets criteria for disorder. I'm talking about most of us who have like low level anxiety, low level depression, but we're not really depressed. Like we need to be in weekly therapy. This is more of just, I'm stressed and irritated all the time. And I'm overwhelmed all the time. And I'm not getting my shit done. (laughs) And I'm not getting my shit done. Right. Exactly. But I have to say this too, Lauren, if you don't pay attention to this over time, there is a cumulative effect. It could lead to an anxiety and a depression. So I I do need to say that. Yeah. No, this is great. You need to create a calendar for people. You could sell these. I know. Right. I thought about that. Yeah. No, you need to. Yeah. yeah. So what do you tell people who they know they should be doing something? Maybe they want to start a podcast. Maybe they want to write a book and they're sitting on their dream and they want to take action, but they need to take that leaf of faith and it's time. How do you get them to yeah. be like, yeah, jump. Some people need to do a little bit of work around self-belief. You know, I have found that some people do need to work on what is it that's keeping them stuck and they do need to do self-analysis around that. You know, maybe it's a self-esteem issue. Maybe it's a self-worth, self-belief issue. So what um, could they do if they're listening? What are the you, tools you, they could you, do? What I would tell you to do is I'd ask you to get help for that. I would tell you to reach out and get support. Talk to someone about it. And it doesn't need to be a therapist. It doesn't even need to be a coach. I do think that there's nothing like a coach to put a fire under your butt to get you going. But it can be a best friend. It can be a parent. It can be a life partner. It can be, you know, it can be someone, a mentor. It can be someone that you trust. Talk to them about what it is that you want to do. Let's say you want to start a podcast. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about what your roadblocks are and have and get the support that you need to keep going. Choose somebody who is in your corner. Choose somebody to talk to who's, who's got your back and tell them, will you be my support system? Will you be the person that's in my corner. Can I come to you for when there's moments I'm really feeling just like downtrodden and don't want to do it and I want to give up? Can I come to you? Ask them if they'll be that person for you. So if you have that in your life, wonderful. And if not, what I did was I paid for a coach because for me, money talks. And when I'm putting a lot of money into something, that makes me work. So money's a motivator for me when I'm putting money out. And that's what I did is I, I paid for the coaching first. And they did, of course, believe in me, but I paid for it. And I went out and I saw people who are experts in the field and it was a game changer. I mean, true game changer. Yeah, that's good. Do you have a message of hope that you want to give? You know what I would tell everybody out there, and I know that maybe you've heard this before, but it really is true. You're not alone. And that so many of us are living lives of isolation and we're alone. And some of the listeners may even feel lonely. I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. There are times we think we're the only one who's ever felt this way and you're not. So find the support you need. There are support groups out there. There's online Zoom support groups these days. There's really no reason why we can't get support for how it is that we feel. So my message of hope is that you're never alone. And do you have a routine that you do every day? Do you meditate? I know you exercise. What do you do? So for me, fitness is huge. Getting out of my house is huge. So now I live in Chicago. So it's actually a nice day today, but our winters are brutal. We have a lot of gray clouds. Many people here and in the Northern States suffer from seasonal affective disorder or just get really down and blue with the gray clouds. It is imperative that I get outside every day. So especially for those of us who live and work in the same location, 
get outside every day. And that's what I do fitness. And even if it's like a, there are days, Lauren, that I can only walk outside for 10 minutes because it's freezing, but you know what? It makes a difference. So get outside every day, get that vitamin D. And if the sun is not shining, it doesn't matter. Get outside and move your body. And if you can meditate, start with one of the many thousands of apps that are out there. I personally, yeah, there's so many now. I love Headspace and you can do it for three minutes, five minutes. That's how I did it. I started that way. I started for five minutes because I was like wanting to jump out of my skin with meditation. And now 20 minutes goes by because sometimes that's all I have. And I'm like, wait, no, I'm not done. I love this. I want to stay here. I could easily, but yeah, it's a practice. I mean, it truly is a practice, but I would, that's what I do. And I would tell everybody, you know, just start with five minutes and you don't have to do it every day. Do it like three, four times a week and see how it goes. Just keep at it. Yeah, definitely. And then how do you deal with loneliness? How do I deal with loneliness? As I reach out, you know, I reach out, I can, you know, there are times during COVID when I felt very lonely when we were all, you know, we had the stay at home order here. And then people were so afraid, as we all know, with the virus and understandably so, we were not going anywhere. What I found was that I reached out, I called my family members, I did Zoom social calls with people. And then when things started like last spring and summer here, things got a lot better. We started to get vaccinated. And I made an effort to call people. And that's what I found was that when I sat back, and I have done this in my life, when I sat back, and I wait for people to call me and I get all mad because I think, well, they're not calling me. I'm not going to call them because they haven't called me in like three months. Forget it. They're not really a good friend. When I get rid of that negative mindset and I move into the more of the positive mindset and I say, Anna, take charge, take the bull by the horns and you take the initiative. You make the effort. What I have found every single time is that most people say, yes, I would love to meet you. Yes, I can come over. What can I bring? And they bring a bottle of wine or they bring an appetizer. And it wasn't that they... They were like me. It wasn't that they didn't weren't making an effort or that they didn't like me or they didn't care about me anymore. They were like me. They were feeling down in the dumps and the doldrums and they were waiting for somebody else to make that effort. And once I made the effort, it's like, oh, it was just the returns that I got back. So that's what's important is to really make an effort to connect with people. And if you have that mindset that goes on, like the scarcity mindset of thinking that like, you know, I'm always the one making the effort, let that go. Just keep going because we need each other. And remember that what Maya Angelou said, it's not, people will remember not what you did for them, but how you made them feel. Always. And that's true, right? Yeah. yeah. They remember yeah, how you made always. them feel. She always yeah. called. She always wanted to have people. She always, you know, wanted us to get together. That's what I remember about her. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you the messages of honesty, gratitude, and an open heart. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for another empowering episode all about how to live authentically, abundantly, and how to have fun. It's a great episode that's super upbeat. That's next week. You definitely don't want to miss that one. If you're feeling like you really want to shift and to surround yourself with like-minded, high-vibrating people, be sure to join us in the Facebook community. We're going to do some chakra clearing for the new year, and it's a good way to know what's happening. And it's a really safe space. Join us in there. It's a great place to be together. And join us at 52 Weeks of Hope. That's the Facebook community. If you're enjoying the podcast, share the love and tell two of your friends. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.